Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the Fed, the labor market, and when we might get a break on mortgage rates. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM, about PA+. Melinda, what is PA+, and why did UWM decide to roll this out? PA Plus is a new service for us to help loan officers with processing an entire loan. So it takes a lot of time to gather documents, to review them closely. And what we do is uh, we look at initial disclosures. We get uh, documents from the borrower, both up front and then anything that comes in after the underwriter. We take the loan all the way through closing, schedule that closing date and get docs out to the borrower and see the entire thing all the way through. So we're excited. It's a great way to help our broker scale and uh, focus on the things that they do, like growing their business and getting leads and bringing in new customers while we take care of the back end of things. Thank you, Melinda. And listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah, on Jobs Friday, one of the most fun days of the year. <laughs> well, it is fun with you. So let's let's jump right into it. What happened on Jobs? Was it what you expected? Well, again, the... Honey Badger labor market continues, but I think you know when I wrote that article on Friday, I'm trying to explain to people why we still have big jobs numbers. Um, so again, going with the work, right? Because we believe in economic models, right? The people that do modeling works tend to get it right. Here, um, part of the COVID nineteen recovery model was, you know, we're going to get all the jobs back lost to COVID by September of 2022. And that roughly hit, hit the spot. But if you look at the labor market and just assume, just assume there was no COVID, right? The longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history was going, right? Housing broke out before COVID-19 hit us. So assume that to be the case. We should have between 158 million to 159 million jobs. If we wanted to say that the you know uh, we get some weakness in the labor market, it'd be between 157 million to 158. So we're still in makeup mode, uh, in my mind, and this is why I've, I've talked about this a lot. That once we get closer to those numbers, uh, the job growth data should uh, uh, slow down noticeably, but. Uh, when you're in makeup mode, and I think the thing is that after 2008, we had the weakest economic recovery ever, we had the weakest housing recovery ever. So the it took so many years to get back to the point of all the jobs we lost during the great financial crisis. We don't have that type of recovery. So when you have a fast recovery, the need for labor is there. Why? Because the consumer is still there. And after 2008, we had years and years of deleveraging meaning people were fined for foreclosures, bankruptcies, which means those consumers are not in play, right? If you if you weren't part of that, then uh, uh, you're doing the normal consumption pattern. So we're working from a full head of steam on the consumption side. Of course, when mortgage rates uh, skyrocketed, the, the housing market went into recession. But in general, we're a, a domestic-based economy that is getting kind of like a uh, manufacturing construction boom 
on top of that. So, uh, if you look at it in that light, then, you know, the last, I, I think we've beaten the, uh, uh, job estimates like 14 months in a row, then it starts to make sense. Even with the fed rate hikes, even with, um, the inflation period, consumption is still moving. And as long as consumption is still moving, the labor force is in makeup mode. And then once we get to, you know, 157 to 158 million around there, then you start to go back to, okay, the 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 easy part of the uh, labor recovery is, is over with now. You know, the Fed rate hikes and the credit getting tighter, all those things will come into play. But at that point, you need uh, jobless claims to break nationally. I would say, you know, there's noticeable claims increases in about probably 25 states already right now. But we're not there yet for the total economy to get, uh, or the the Fed hasn't achieved its job loss recession just yet. So where are we on that total number? Oh, we're we're just a tad above 156 million. So uh, we're not we're not we're not there yet. Uh, it's 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 achievable uh, by the end of this year uh, if job growth uh, keeps on going, uh, pretty easily. I mean, just there's an average of, uh, 200,000 reports for the next uh, few months. We could get, we could get through 157 million, but hopefully that explains the labor market strength in that context. Well, it is, it is confusing. If you think about, you know, we say the fed wants a job loss recession, but we still haven't gotten all the jobs back. So as we're adding those jobs back, are they considering it? Oh, we're growing instead of just getting back to where we want to be. So the Federal Reserve, to me, wants the slow recovery that we had in the previous expansion because it's all about inflation. Wage growth picking up? No. We can't have that in America. If wage growth picks up, people make more money. That's bad. You know, uh, the bosses would have to pay up for labor and, you know, inflation will take off. So what's the irony of everything? And this is why I've always stressed the people that believe we're in 1970s are so petrified of wage growth. But during 2022 and 2023, where in theory, we had the tightest labor market ever. That's what they say. The Fed says this all the time. The labor market is too tight. Wage growth has been slowing since January 2022. It's still higher than what we had um, in the previous expansion, but that was the weakest recovery ever. They like that. So they want us to go back there. Right, these are old people that just want slow wage growth, and everybody just let the bosses not fight over you. So here, wage growth has been slowing down. If you had a wage spiral, the fear is always that wages spiral out of control, right? And then inflation goes rampant, like in the nineteen seventies. And this is why we have to be mindful of anybody who talks about the seventies, because if this is true, wage growth would be accelerating noticeably. Not the case. Um, so they're they're hoping that. The higher rates and the credit getting tighter. I think they they really love the fact that credit's getting tight. I I was actually uh, uh, just joking about this today on uh, Twitter. I said, "Boy, the Federal Reserve loves that the mortgage spreads are terrible." I mean, if the I mean the mortgage rates if being at five and a half percent, do you know how the panic the Federal Reserve would have? Waller talks about a rebound in housing with demand at 10-year lows. Could you imagine if we actually had positive purchase application data every single week? He would freak. He would panic. He'd be sweating. You'd go, oh my God, younger people are buying homes and they're having sex and they're buying homes again. And I can't have that because I couldn't buy a home when I went to Washington, D.C. My friends are buying homes now more than the millennials. So we have to keep this going. So 
it, it's starting to get ridiculous now on, on the housing thing uh, with some of the Federal Reserve members. But the spreads being worse after the banking crisis is something that the Federal Federal Reserve enjoys. And this is why you don't hear them talking about it. Like in any other time, people would be like, wow, the spreads are like, you know, usually you're in a financial crisis or something. Here, where our economy is expanding and they're like, hey, let's just let's just let this be because I think the fear of Americans buying homes for them is 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 too much. And that's why you don't hear any comments on the mortgage-backed security spreads or anything like that. They love it. They love the fact that credit was getting tighter. Not only did they love the fact that the credit was getting tighter, they were hiking when they knew the credit was getting tighter. And, you know, if they're going, well, we're going to pause here, maybe. But um, I think I think in that sense, the Fed is is getting what it wants without blatantly saying, we need you to lose your jobs. Right. So uh, it's a tug of war with them. But uh, the, the labor market, again, to me, makeup mode, when we get back above 157 to 158 million, then we start to get more interesting because, you know, there's there's so many workers coming in uh, uh, when, in a consumer-based economy uh, that we we have to serve a lot of people, right? So a uh, service-based economy needs a lot of employees because that's where uh, technology doesn't really help you too much. So... <clears throat> You know, key to your uh, model is a certain number of people filing for jobless claims. You've said it's 323,000. When we get to that level, then the Fed will pivot. Um, where are we on that level this week? The jobless claims are are, are nowhere close uh, to 323,000. I mean, uh, I, I would I would I, I would say this in terms of claims in in jolts. Job openings came out this week. Uh, job openings data is uh, a, a little bit above 10 million right now. The Federal Reserve really puts all their weights on job openings data because they don't believe you could have a recession with job openings this high. Jobless claims, you know, around 230, 240,000 is not anything troubling yet. But if we're able to get to 323,000 on the four week moving average, and that's not a made up number. You know, I took the account of the civilian labor force job openings where we are. If we get to that number, then you got something. And, and guess what? We haven't even got close, right? Uh, um, so that to me will show that the labor market is breaking. Now, some of the Fed's comments this week were like, well, if, if the labor market is breaking, then I would be concerned. If I, you know, so I think they're a little bit surprised about how good the labor market is with all the Fed rate hikes. But if you look at it just as makeup demand mode, because, you know, it's confusing on one hand, people say there's no workers, there's nobody working. Prime age labor force for women ages 25 to 54, all-time highs, right? I think those who know me said one of, one of the more bullish cases in the United States of America, our women are tougher than our guys, right? They're <laughs> just, they just are, you know, uh, they're the badass workers, Right, we've got issues with men in this country since the 1950s, and it it keeps continuing. But women, on the other hand, are pretty badass. And uh, if you look at the the history of the world, those that allow women to work and get educated and do that stuff, God, they're great. Right, those that don't, no, not not that great. Right. So I think uh, that's such it's such a bullish thing because there was all these talk about well, it's a she recession and. Women are coming. Women are kicking men's ass like they have, you know, in the last ten years. So I, I am all for that. I was, I, I get so happy when I see that number because people have, people have heard me speak before COVID. No, no, that's a that's a big thing for me. But here, you know, 
just make up, make up demand, make up. It's like in COVID-19 for, for housing, you know, when we had that delay in home, home purchases for that six weeks, we had that big makeup demand toward the second half of 2020. Think of that about in labor, right? And then we get to a certain level and then things get a little bit more interesting. So it's hard when they say nobody wants to work and yet we're having big numbers. Uh, the benefit for the United States of America has always been we have a massive young workforce. If we didn't have them, we are Japan, we are China, we are Europe, right? We don't, we have the luxury of having the millennials, Gen Z and Gen A. This is a good thing. I call them replacement workers. So here we're just getting back to a certain level and then we take it from there. And uh, hopefully that explains the 14 straight months of uh, jobs data beating uh, estimates. Well, you talked about spreads. Let's get into the 10-year yield and mortgage rates, the 30-year mortgage rates. And, you know, we had a lot happen. So we're recording this on Friday. It'll be uh, live on uh, Monday. But this week has been a a lot of things happened, right? We got the debt ceiling deal done finally. Uh, We've got these job numbers. So where are we on the 10-year yield and rates? So the 10-year yield came all the way down to 3.60% uh, after the jobs data was going back and forth. I think right at this second is like 3.67%. So if you guys look at the 10-year yield chart, it really starts to look like you know uh, lower highs. Um, and uh, uh, again, for me, it's if I, I can't get myself under 3.21 until the labor force breaks or the labor market breaks. So that Gandalf line that I talk about is still there. Um, the growth rate of inflation is falling. I don't, I don't know. I mean, outside of crazy people that want to see America explode, there isn't anybody that's really forecasting a reacceleration just because the basic arithmetic, if you do have a second grade education and read the CPI index is not on your side anymore for the next 12 months. So it's really hard to have a reacceleration of core CPI or even core PCE when the, uh, rental inflation is actually going to start declining in the data. Um, but that would require reading, Sarah. And uh, uh, I, so the bond market knows this already. This is why I kind of kept that 3.21 as a solid line. And uh, until the labor market breaks, when it does, it should, right? If it did break um, before that happened, then I got that wrong. Then uh, the, the market is really trying to get ahead of the uh, uh, economic data. But so far, so far, remarkably, Sarah, this is this is crazy to say this. With all the things that have happened in 2023, the 10-year yield looks perfectly normal to me. Um, uh, I would say that the banking crisis should have made it go a little bit lower, but it didn't. So uh, let's uh, it, the mortgage-backed security market is just, it's like a third world country. Just, it's terrible, right? Uh, and uh, uh, and the fact that the Fed has stayed silent on it, I think I think that speaks loud. They, they absolutely love they love the fact that the mortgage-backed security market is stressed because that takes pressure off of them. Uh, in fact, I think they were, you know, one of the reasons why they they basically said, uh, we're not going to sell mortgage-backed securities because it's stressed already, right? So I think a lot of desperate uh, uh, Americans who want to see this country crash are just hoping that they sell the mortgage-backed securities and somehow something breaks and people lose their jobs and all this stuff. But But as of right now, they're kind of, Okay, we're not going to do anything because it's it's already broken. So that's how people should look at it in that light. And historically, usually the spreads get bad when you go into a recession. So the question is, when we do go into one, what do they do? 
I think that I think that is where we should start focusing a lot of the attention. What does the Federal Reserve do when we do lose jobs? What does the Federal Reserve do if mortgage-backed securities get worse and we do have nine to ten percent rates or something to that nature? Uh, uh, if something terrible should happen, um, that's I think is a, a very very interesting topic when we get there. But as of right now, the Fed's just trying to manage this and and make sure that the 1970s inflation doesn't happen again. Well, okay, so there's 10-year yield, but mortgage rates, mortgage rates, we had another high. We we hit a high for 2023 this week, um, up in the sevens, I mean, seven three, seven four. some people were being quoted um, that, that James talked to. Um, that has come back down, but give us a sense like, come on, when is, when is, when can we say we're not going to go back into the sevens again? Well, since the forecast had seven and a quarter in it, um, <laughs> I don't uh, like that you know, forecast. I mean, I, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm telling you, the 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 biggest variable change of 2023 was the banking crisis, and the banking crisis has made the spreads worse. So we are here. The ten year yield has to go back down to. I mean, it is. Oh, it is so bad, Sarah. It, the mortgage backed security market is so bad, but we should be at least six six and a quarter, six and a half, something. But we're still in the uh, high sixes right now. Um, I, I I just, I don't think the Fed wants the mortgage-backed security market to be good. I just, I just, I mean, I, I see a bunch of older people afraid of people having sex and buying homes. I mean, I, I, it might sound ridiculous to everyone listening, but that's what economics is, is people rent, they date, they mate, they have kids. When they have kids, they buy more stuff. Right, they need bigger homes, and uh, this scares this scares the people at the Federal Reserve because of the 1970s. Right, 1970s, it was them. People like like I'm telling them they were the baby boomers buying back then. They had to deal with inflation, so in the back of their mind, <laughs> they're thinking, "Oh my God, it's going to happen again." I lived it. I'm going to save the millennials. We're only going to have baby boomers buy homes now, right? And they're not having sex and having kids, so it's okay, you know. But um, I, I, I honestly believe this. I think the fact that they have never commented on how bad the market is on the mortgage market is basically saying, "Ha ha, we love it. Too bad for you. You're not getting the '70s inflation. We're not going to make this happen." So uh, take it for what it's worth. Uh, again, stick to the labor market data. If claims start to break, ten-year yield falls. When ten-year yield falls, rates should fall. But the velocity of rates falling are just not that good right now, and that's the banking crisis. And and they welcome the banking crisis. Not only did they welcome the banking crisis, they were raising rates during the banking crisis. So we have to deal with that. If they ever pivot, pivot to me doesn't mean rate cuts. It means language first. Well, that that'll be the more interesting period to see how the mortgage-backed securities mark when we actually see that turn. But unfortunately, this is the reality of the world we live in uh, uh, post the banking crisis. Remember, the Fed says, I don't see anything wrong. There's nothing wrong in the markets. You know, all of a sudden, oh, God, emergency lending. Oh, well, the banking system is fine. Oh, we need more mergers, right? So I know it's it sounds crazy, some of the things I say, but this is just trying to manage a marketplace and the reality on one hand, you have an institution that believes in in facilitating full employment, but right now they're talking about price stability, and uh, they do believe labor force attacking the labor force is the best way to deal with inflation here. 
Okay, let's talk about one of the other big things that we track. We do this every week with the housing market tracker, right? Is inventory. Um, we did have some some gains last week. What do you expect to see going into uh, this weekend when you get the numbers? So my inventory credit channel models have been very simple. Higher mortgage rates with duration, inventory growth can happen. Why? Because it takes longer to sell a home. What's occurred in 2023 is that mortgage rates have been going back and forth. And whenever they head lower, purchase application data does better. Whenever they go higher, they do worse. If you get higher rates with duration, it gives what you call a breather, right? Instead of homes selling at 15 days, they're selling at 22 days. Or if they're selling at 19 days, they're selling at 29 days. That can push the active listings higher and higher because you're not getting it in new listings. I mean, mil- I mean, we're, we're every every week right now, 60, 70,000 people are listing their homes to sell, right? They're giving up their low mortgage rate. But you, what we've seen after 2010 is the real way for inventory growth to happen while people are employed or higher rates, duration, and the days on market actually have been coming back down again. So if the higher rates get in, we should, we should be getting more. The only thing is that we're in June now. Right. And and the seasonality of new listings data is actually uh, uh, kind of like after uh, June, July, that period is when that data starts to decrease. Uh, and if that data decreases even more, man, it just means that whenever rates fall, the inventory group comes back. And that's just how it is because the mortgage rate lockdown wasn't ever a real thing. And there's a possibility that not a possibility, but if, if, if we stay the same trend as we are right now, we're going to have I'm not kidding you when I say this, we're going to have some negative year-over-year inventory prints. That was not in anybody's playbook. But because the velocity of inventory last year, right, when rates started to spike above seven, picked up more steam, this year it's different. So I think it, it starts to get even more interesting tracking the weekly inventory data when rates are higher because we kind of know what happens when rates fall. The mortgage rate lockdown didn't help. So, <laughs> no, no, no. We won't even get into that. So, you know, looking at the summer, you, I think you said like new listings was like the walking dead in the spring. And really, the, the whole spring market was as a result very tepid, right? I mean, you had prices going up. That was the maybe the biggest story about it was like we had so little inventory that prices really didn't come down like you would think. You know, you know the the. It's interesting if you if you actually look at the Case Shiller index. If the Case Shiller index, the month to month data stays the same toward the end of this year, it's going to hit an all time high. Now the FHFA and other other uh, other indexes have already hit a high. Everyone's going to lose their mind if the Case Shiller index hit an all time high in 2023 because that just means that you know a lot of bad housing takes in America just blew up in a lot of people's faces. Um, Here, I I would say this. uh, The biggest story of 2023, the biggest story in housing economics was November 9th. And we don't have this discussion today if November 9th didn't happen. And for those that don't know, November 9th was the day that rates started to fall and purchase application data got better. So if I had to teach something I would say don't focus on inventory levels. Inventory is higher this year than last year. It's not lower. It's higher. 
So we have more active supply this year than last year. So that's 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 not the issue. The issue is that demand stopped collapsing. So when that occurs, right, we are dealing with supply and demand economics where what we know right now to be a fact, stable demand with inventory near all-time lows. You cannot change this reality. It's just what the data has shown now. Now, if home sales were running from 4 million to 2 million, oh my, we're just keeping the same story. That, there's no shield with low inventory, right? And inventory should be even accelerating more, but that didn't occur. So this is why I stressed weekly housing data is the only way to track housing because it's one of these sectors that can turn on a dime. And because it turned on a dime and nobody was tracking the weeklies, it's just, I mean, Sarah, I'm going to be really honest here. We have a lot of inexperienced people out there. You can see this. Why? You remember I remember my thing? Everybody likes to do 10% price declines, 15% price declines, 20%. Nice round numbers. Everybody good. And they don't talk about anything else, right? So they forecast something and then you, well, what's your mortgage rate that, oh, oh I don't, I'm just, I'm going to guess. What's the 10-year yield going to be? I, I, I have no idea. I don't know. Okay, fine. Here, we did something different in Housing Wire, right? We said, okay, November 9th, rates are going, let's track purchase application data. Okay, from November 9th to February 2nd, mostly positive prints. What it did is it stopped the bleeding. That's the story of 2023. The bleeding stopped. And because of that, the whole dynamics of housing changed. And we were the only people that talked about it. Why? Because we track weekly data. That's the difference. I, I like I was saying, I was saying people say, well, what's your two-year forecast? Who is crazy enough to even do a two-year forecast and let alone think that matters? Everyone, trust me, go look at everyone's forecasts. They revise it every month, right? This is a moving variable. Nobody wants to put the effort and time into tracking weekly data or what goes on data lines because they don't know. Oh my God, that's work, right? So we'll do this. We'll track it. And this is why the weekly tracker data now gets more interesting because we're dealing with a variable change, higher rates. But the story of 2023 happened on November 9th. The bleeding stopped. If the bleeding didn't stop, it's different, right? We're going to go straight to 2 million. There's nothing preventing you from sales collapsing even more and more unless somebody has told everyone it's really rare to have existing home sales below 4 million. I don't know who that person is, but somebody has told you, and I encourage everyone, go read my Demographics Crush Housing Bears 2020 article. It wrote in August when back then I said, you know, existing home sales are going to be positive. Oh, every tomato that was left from the COVID-19 uh, uh, <laughs> spare case was thrown at me at that point. Yeah. They're like, no way existing homes. Are, oh, yes, it is. It's going positive. No way. That's no, you're crazy. There's, there's all these people unemployed for looking purchase application data is saying a positive. We were positive for the year. Let well, us do, let us do our jobs we, this is our kingdom of heaven. Weekly data matters. Don't get stuck on yearly forecasts and don't listen to people who don't forecast. Come on. If there's anything I've taught any of you, don't listen to those people. They they don't have the training or the discipline to do this. We do. So we're going to look at the second half of 2023, realizing that we have to do higher rates, how the labor market's going, the bond market, everything. And now we're dealing with credit getting tighter for the economy. We'll put it all in there, right? We're not a one-trick pony here. 
economics, mother economics. Oh my God. She is the greatest serial killer in the world. She wants to get caught. She's going to throw a million different crumbs. (laughs) And I appreciate that. I can't wait until mortgage rates drop. I mean, our industry is just being squeezed from all sides. And so, you know, and it's not good for consumers either. It's, I mean, every, it's not good from any perspective. You know, if I had the Federal Reserve members here right in front of us, you know what I would tell them? What would you tell them? I would tell them when the labor market breaks and the 10-year yield goes down and let's say mortgage rates go down a little bit more aggressively, because so many people wanted to buy homes and they couldn't because they want rates to go lower, do you believe that is a effective way? of trying to manage a housing cycle because you sure didn't care about rates spiking up higher. And what happens? Chaos. So chaos can happen both ways, right? There's a lot of people that were, Hey, we have, we have, we have the demographics. It's not that right. We believe in reading anybody who reads, we're not Japan, but if you rates start to fall, now I know, I know the feds kind of hinted they want this. Is that the kind of market you want? in a rebound? Or do you want to somehow figure out a way to get the spread somewhat normal so you don't have like a rush of people coming in? Which then again, I start going back to my savagely unhealthy housing market game. And I don't want to do that, right? But this is the world we do in. So if I had the Federal Reserve, and I know some of the analysts there are listening, tell your bosses to figure out a way to make the spread somewhat normal because we don't want what happened in 2021 again. Why? Because the total active listings are still low. Right. So figure out a way to make this work or else we're going to be in another bad spot again. We want a balanced housing market and rates being this volatile resembles a third world country. We are the United States of America. Take some pride in yourself. Come on. I am with you 100%. Um, Logan, thanks for for walking us through this. I did want to mention you were going to be at Gathering of Eagles on June 18th. It's coming up. We're having that in Austin. It is amazing. The number, the kind of speakers we have there, we have you, we have Mike Simonson, we have Nick Bailey, the president and CEO of Remax. We have got so many of the uh, most amazing brokers and broker leaders at that. If you're in real estate, you should join us. Gathering of Eagles on June 18th in Austin, Texas. Yes. And you all get to see me just absolutely destroy Sarah Wheeler's mortgage rate locked out premise. And everyone can realize that the people with the data are going to win this one. So I cannot wait for that. And then. You're awfully confident, you know, I mean, you know, you know what they say, what, what goes before a fall there, Logan, pride goes before a fall. So I don't think you should think you have this locked up at all. This has nothing to do with pride. This is a math facts and data. And (laughs) I've always stressed this. This is always been my cup of tea. I'm going to die on this. I die on this sword, die on this Island, but I guarantee you I've, I've got the, I've got the numbers behind me. We will see. I have a lot of our listeners on on my side on this, so we will see. But definitely come join us. It's going to be amazing. Logan, thank you so much.
Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Programs Specialist here at HW Media, and I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. If you want to learn more, visit the events page on realtrends.com and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.